Letter twenty four of Letters from England, eighteen forty six to eighteen forty nine, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to W. D. B. London, November fourth, eighteen forty seven. Dear W. Mr. Bancroft and I dined on Friday, the twenty second, with Mr. and Mrs. Hawes, Under Secretary of State, to meet Mr. Brooke, the Raja of Sarawak, who is a great lion in London just now. He is an English gentleman of large fortune, who has done much to Christianize Borneo, and to open its trade to the English. I sat between him and Mr. Ward, formerly minister to Mexico, before Mr. Pakenham. He wrote a very nice book on Mexico, and is an agreeable and intelligent person. On Wednesday, A. and I went together to the National Gallery, and just as we were setting out, Mr. Butler of New York came in, and I invited him to join us. While we were seated before a charming Claude, who should come in but Mr. R. W. Emerson, and we had quite a joyful greeting. Just then came in Mr. Rogers with two ladies, one on each arm. He renewed his request that I would bring my son to breakfast with him, and appointed Friday morning, and then added, if those gentlemen who are with you are your friends and countrymen, perhaps they will accompany you. They very gladly acceded, and I was thankful Mr. Emerson had chanced to be with me at that moment, as it procured him a high pleasure." Yesterday your father and I dined with Sir George Grey. About four o'clock came on such a fog as I have not seen in London, and the newspapers of this morning speak of it as greater than has been known for many years. Sir George Grey lives in Eaton Place, which is parallel and just behind Eaton Square. In going that little distance, though there is a brilliant gas light at every door, the coachman was completely bewildered and lost himself entirely. We could only walk the horses, the footman exploring ahead. When the guests by degrees arrived, there was the same rejoicing as if we had met on Mont St. Bernard after a contest with an alpine snowstorm. Lady Grey told me she was dining with the Queen once on one of these tremendous fogs, and that many of the guests did not arrive till dinner was half through, which was horrible at a royal dinner, but the elements care little for royalty. On Saturday we dined at the Duc de Broglie's. He married the daughter of Madame de Stael, but she is not now living. I was very agreeably placed with Mr. Macaulay on one side of me, so that I found it more pleasant than diplomatic dinners, usually. At the English tables we meet people who know each other well, and have a common culture and taste and habits of familiarity, and a fund of pleasant stories, but of course at foreign tables they neither know each other or the English so well as to give the same easy flow to conversation. I am afraid we are the greatest diners out in London, but we are brought into contact a great deal with the literary and parliamentary people which our colleagues know little about, as also with the clergy and the judges. I should not be willing to make it the habit of my life, but it is time not misspent during the years of our abode here. The good old Archbishop of York is dead, and I am glad I paid my visit to him when I did. Mr. Rogers has paid me a long visit to-day, and gave me all the particulars of his death. It was a subject I should not have introduced, for of that knot of intimate friends— Mr. Greenville, the Archbishop, and himself, he is now all that remains. November 28th. On Monday evening I went without Mr. Bancroft to a little party at Mrs. Lyell's, where I was introduced to Mrs. Somerville. She has resided for the last nine years abroad, chiefly at Venice, but has now come to London and taken a house very near us. Her daughter told me that nothing could exceed the ease and simplicity with which her literary occupations were carried on. She is just publishing a book upon natural geography without regard to political boundaries. 
She writes principally before she rises in the morning on a little piece of board, with her inkstand on a table by her side. After she leaves her room she is as much at leisure as other people, but if an idea strikes her she takes her little board into a corner or window, and writes quietly for a short time, and returns to join the circle. Dr. Somerville told me that his wife did not discover her genius for mathematics till she was about sixteen. Her brother, who has no talent for it, was receiving a mathematical lesson from a master while she was hemming and stitching in the room. In this way she first heard the problems of Euclid stated and was ravished. When the lesson was over, she carried off the book to her room and devoured it. For a long time she pursued her studies secretly, as she had scaled heights of science which were not considered feminine by those about her. December 2nd. I put down my pen yesterday when the carriage came to the door for my drive. It was a day bright, beaming, and exhilarating as one of our own winter days. I was so busy enjoying the unusual beams of the unclouded sun that I did not perceive for some time that I had left my muff, and was obliged to drive home again to get it. While I was waiting in the carriage for the footman to get it, two of the most agreeable old lady faces in the world presented themselves at the window. They were the Miss Berries. They had driven up behind me and got out to have a little talk on the sidewalk. I took them into Mr. Bancroft's room and was thankful that my muff had sent me back to receive a visit which, at their age, is rarely paid. I found them full of delight at Mr. Brooke, the Raja of Sarawak, with whose nobleness of soul they would have great sympathy. He is just now the Lion of London, and like all other lions is run after by most people because he is one, and by the few because he deserves to be one. Now, lest you should know nothing about him, let me tell you that at his own expense he fitted out a vessel, and established himself at Borneo, where he soon acquired so great an ascendancy over the native Raja, that he insisted on resigning to him the government of his province of Sarawak. Here, with only three European companions, by moral and intellectual force alone, he succeeded in suppressing piracy and civil war among the natives, and opened a trade with the interior of Borneo which promises great advantages to England. Everybody here has the influenza, a right-down influenza, that sends people to their beds. Those who have triumphed at their exemption in the evening wake up perhaps in the morning full of aches in every limb, and scoff no longer. Dinner parties are sometimes quite broken up by the excuses that come pouring in at the last moment. Lady John Russell had seven last week at a small dinner of twelve. Twelve hundred policemen at one time were taken off duty, so that the thieves might have had their own way, but they were probably as badly off themselves. End of letter 24. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter twenty five of Letters from England, eighteen forty six to eighteen forty nine, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to Mr. and Mrs. I. P. D. London, December sixteenth, eighteen forty seven. My dear uncle and aunt, on Saturday Mr. Hallam wrote us that Sir Robert Peel had promised to breakfast with him on Monday morning, and he thought we should like to meet him in that quiet way. So we presented ourselves at ten o'clock and were joined by Sir Robert, Lord Mahon, Macaulay, and Milman, who with Hallam himself formed a circle that could not be exceeded in the wide world. I was the only lady, except Miss Hallam, but I am especially favoured in the breakfast line. 
I would cross the Atlantic only for the pleasure I had that morning in hearing such men talk for two or three hours in an entirely easy, unceremonious breakfast way. Sir Robert was full of stories, and showed himself as much the scholar as the statesman. Macaulay was overflowing as usual, and Lord Mahon and Milman are full of learning and accomplishments. The classical scholarship of these men is very perfect, and sometimes one catches a glimpse of awfully deep abysses of learning. But then it is only a glimpse, for their learning has no cumbrous and dull pedantry about it. They are all men of society and men of the world, who keep up with it everywhere. There is many a pleasant story and many a good joke, and everything discussed but politics, which, as Sir Robert and Macaulay belonged to opposite dynasties, might be dangerous ground. After dinner we went a little before ten to Lady Charlotte Lindsay's. She came last week to say that she was to have a little dinner on Monday, and wished us to come in afterwards. This is universal here, and is the easiest and most agreeable form of society. She had Lord Braham and Colonel and Mrs. Dawson Damer, etc., to dine. Mrs. Damer wished us to come the next evening to her in the same way, just to get our cup of tea. These nice little teas are what you need in Boston. There is no supper, no expense, nothing but society. Mrs. Damer is the granddaughter of the beautiful Lady Waldgrave, the niece of Horace Walpole, who married the Duke of Gloucester. She was left an orphan at a year old, and was confided by her mother to the care of Mrs. Fitzherbert. She lived with her until her marriage, and was a great pet of George the Fourth, and tells a great many interesting stories of him and Mrs. Fitzherbert, who was five years older than he. End of letter 25 Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 26 of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to W.D.B., London, December 30, 1847. Dear W., your father left me on the 18th to go to Paris. This is the best of all seasons for him to be there, for the ministers are all out of town at Christmas, and in Paris everything is at its height. My friends are very kind to me, those who remain in town. One day I dined at Sir Francis Simpkinson's and found a pleasant party. Lady Simpkinson is a sister of Lady Franklin, whom I was very glad to meet, as she has been in America and knows many Americans, Mrs. Kirkland for one. Then I have passed one evening for the first time at Mr. Tadgent's, the Unitarian clergyman, where I met many of the literary people who are out of the great world, and yet very desirable to see. There, too, I met the Mrs. Cushman, Charlotte, and Susan, who attend his church. I was very much pleased with both of them. I have never seen them play, but they will send me a list of their parts at their next engagement, and I shall certainly go to hear them. They are of old colony descent, from Elder Cushman, and have very much of the New England character, culture, and good sense. On Monday I dined at Sir Edward Codrington's, the hero of Navarino, with the Marquise and Marchioness of Queensbury, and a party of admirals and navy officers. On Tuesday I dined at Lady Bray's, where were Mr. Rogers, Dr. Holland, Sir Augustus, and Lady Albinia Foster, formerly British Minister to the United States. He could describe our court, as he called it, in the time of Madison and Monroe. January 1st, 1848. This evening, in addition to my usual morning letter from your father, I have another, a new postal arrangement beginning today with the new year. 
He gives me a most interesting conversation he has just been having with Baron von Humboldt, who is now in Paris. He says he poured out a delicious stream of remarks, anecdotes, narratives, opinion. He feels our great interest in our Mexican affairs, as he has been much there, and is a Mexican by adoption. His letter, dated the 31st December, says, Madame Adelaide died at three this morning. This death astonished me, for he saw her only a few evenings since at the palace. She was a woman of strong intellect and character, and her brother, the king, was very much attached to her as a counsellor and friend. There were more than one hundred Americans to be presented on New Year's Day at Paris, and as Madame Adelaide's death took place without a day's warning, you can imagine the embroidered coats and finery which were laid on the shelf. Saturday, January 7th. Yesterday, my dear son, I had a delightful dinner at the dear Miss Berry's. They drove to the door on Thursday, and left a little note to say, Can you forgive a poor sick soul for not coming to you before, when you were all alone, and begging me to come the next day at seven to dine? There was Lady Charlotte, and later Stuart de Rothsey, who was many years ambassadress at Paris, and very agreeable. Then there was Dr. Holland and Mr. Stanley, the Under-Secretary of State, etc. In the evening came quite an additional party, and I passed it most pleasantly. Your father writes that on Friday he dined at Thiers with Minier, Cousin, Pontoise, and Lord Normanby. He says such a dinner is unique in a man's life. Minier is delightful, frank, open, gay, full of intelligence, and of that grace which makes society charming. Your father to-day gives me some account of Thiers. He is now fifty. He rises at five o'clock every morning, toils till twelve, breakfasts, make researches, and then goes to the chambers. In the evening he always receives his friends, except Wednesdays and Thursdays, when he attends his wife to the opera and to the academy. End of letter 26. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter twenty seven of Letters from England, eighteen forty six to eighteen forty nine, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to Mr. and Mrs. I. P. D. London, January twenty eighth, eighteen forty eight. My dear uncle and aunt, last Monday I received this note from George Sumner, which I thought might interest you. My dear Mrs. Bancroft, I hasten to congratulate you upon an event most honorable to Mr. Bancroft and to our country. The highest honor which can be bestowed in France upon a foreigner has just been conferred on him. He was chosen this afternoon a corresponding member of the Institute. Five names were presented for the vacant chair of history. Every vote but one was in favor of Mr. Bancroft, that one for Mr. Grote of London, author of The History of Greece. A gratifying fact in regard to this election is that it comes without the knowledge of Mr. Bancroft, and without any of those preliminary visits on his part, and those appeals to academicians whose votes are desired, that are so common with candidates for vacancies at the Institute. The honor acquires double value for being unsought, and I have heard with no small satisfaction several members of the Academy contrast the modest reserve of Mr. Bancroft with the restless maneuvers to which they have been accustomed. Prescott, you know, is already a member, and I think America may be satisfied with two out of seven of a class of history which is selected from the world. End of letter 27. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org.
Letter twenty eight of Letters from England, eighteen forty six to eighteen forty nine, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to T. D. London, February twenty fourth, eighteen forty eight. My dear brother, great excitement exists in London today at the reception of the news from France. Guizot is overthrown, and Count Mole is made prime minister. The National Guards have sided with the people, and would not fire upon them, and that secret of the weakness of the army being revealed, I do not see why the Liberal Party cannot obtain all they want in the end. Louis-Philippe has sacrificed the happiness of France for the advancement of his own family, but nations in the nineteenth century have learned that they were not made to be the slaves of a dynasty. Mr. Bancroft dines with the French minister to-day, not with a party, but quite en famille, and he will learn— there what the hopes and fears of the government are. February 25th. The news this morning is only from Amiens, which has risen in support of France. The railways are torn up all round Paris to prevent the passage of troops, and the roads and barriers are all in possession of the people. All France will follow the lead of Paris, and what will be the result heaven only knows. End of letter 28. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 29 of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to IPD, London, February 26, 1848. My dear uncle, on Thursday Mr. Bancroft dined with Count Jarnac, the minister in Duc de Broglie's absence, and he little dreamt of the blow awaiting him. The fortifications and the army seemed to make the king quite secure. On Friday Mr. Bancroft went to dine with Kenyon, and I drove there with him for a little air. On my return Cates, the butler, saluted me with the wondrous news of the deposition and flight of the royal family, which Mr. Broadhead had rushed up from his club to impart to us. I was engaged to a little party at Mr. Hallam's, where I found everybody in great excitement. Sunday noon. Today we were to have dined with Baron de Rothschild, but this morning I got a note from the beautiful Baroness, saying that her sister-in-law and her mother, with three children, had just arrived from Paris at her house in the greatest distress, without a change of clothes, and in deep anxiety about the Baron, who had stayed behind. Our colleagues all looked bewildered and perplexed beyond measure. The English aristocracy have no love for Louis-Philippe, but much less for a republic so near at hand, and everybody seemed perplexed and uneasy. Tuesday. On Sunday the Duc de Nemours arrived at the French embassy, and Monday the poor Duchess de Montpensier, the innocent cause of all the trouble. No one knows where the Duchess de Nemours and her young children are, and the king and queen are entirely missing. At one moment it is reported that he is drowned, and then again at Brussels. Wednesday. Today the French embassy have received dispatches announcing the new government, and Count Jarnac has immediately resigned. This made it impossible for the Duc de Nemours and the Duchess de Montpensier to remain at the embassy, and they fell by inheritance to Mr. Van der Weyer, whose queen is Louis-Philippe's daughter. The queen has taken Louis-Philippe's daughter, Princess Clementine, who married Prince Auguste Saxe-Coburg to the palace, but for state policy's sake she can do nothing about the others. Mr. Vanderweer offered Mr. Bates's place of East Sheen, which was most gratefully accepted. Friday. 
This morning came Thackeray, who is the soul of Punch, and showed me a piece he had written for the next number. Saturday. The king has arrived. What a crossing of the channel, pea-jacket, woolen comforter, and all. The flight is a perfect comedy, and if Punch had tried to invent anything more ludicrous, it would have failed. Panic, despotism, and cowardice. These things are much more exciting here than across the water. We are so near the scene of action, and everybody has a more personal interest here in all these matters. The whole week has been like a long play, and now, on Saturday night, I want nothing but repose. What a dream it must be to the chief actors! The queen, who is always good and noble, was adverse to such ignominious flight. She preferred staying and taking what came, and if Madame Adelaide had lived, they would never have made such a word indecipherable figure. Her pride and courage would have inspired them. With her seemed to fly Louis-Philippe's star, as Napoleon's with Josephine. Mr. Emerson has just come to London, and we give him a dinner on Tuesday, the 14th. Several persons wished to see him, and Monckton Milnes reviewed him in Blackwood. End of letter 29. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 30 of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to W.D.B., London, March 11, 1848. Dear W., Yesterday we dined at Lord Lansdowne's. Among the guests were Monsieur and Madame Van der Weyre, and Mrs. Austin, the translatress, who has been driven over here from Paris, where she has resided for several years. She is a vehement friend of Guizot's, though a bitter accuser of Louis-Philippe, but how can they be separated? She interests herself strongly, now, in all his arrangements, and is assisting his daughters to form their humble establishment. He and his daughters together have about eight hundred pounds a year, and that, in London, is poverty. They have taken a small house in Brompton Square, a little out of town, and one of those suburban, unfashionable regions where most accommodations can be had at the least price. What a change for those who have witnessed their almost regal receptions in Paris! The young ladies bear very sweetly all their reverses. Guizot himself, I hear, is as fier as ever, and almost gay. Princess de Leven is here at the Clarendon, and their friendship is as great as ever. March 15th. Yesterday we had an agreeable dinner at our own house. Macaulay, Milman, Lord Morpeth, and Monckton Milnes were all most charming, and we ladies listened with eager ears. Conversation was never more interesting than just now, in this great crisis of the world's affairs. Mr. Emerson was here, and seemed to enjoy it much. Friday, March 17th. Things look rather darker in France, but we ought not to expect a republic to be established without some difficulties. You cannot judge of the state of France, however, through the medium of the English newspapers, for, of course, English sympathies are all entirely against it. They never like France, and a republic of any kind still less. A peaceful and prosperous republic in the heart of Europe would be much more deprecated than a state of anarchy. The discussion of French matters reveals to me every moment the deep repugnance of the English to republican institutions. It lets in a world of light upon opinions and feelings which otherwise would not have been discovered by me. Sunday, March 19th. Yesterday we breakfasted at Mrs. Milman's. I was the only lady, but there were Macaulay, 
Hallam, Lord Morpeth, and above all Charles Austin, whom I had not seen before, as he never dines out, but who is the most striking talker in England. He has made a fortune by the law in the last few years, which gives him an income of eight thousand pounds. He has the great railroad cases which come before the House of Lords. On Tuesday came a flying report of a revolution in Berlin, but no one believed it. We concluded it rather a speculation of the newsmen, who are hawking revolutions after every mail in second and third editions. We were going that evening to a soiree at Bunsen's, whom we found cheerful as ever, and fearing no evil. On Monday the news of the revolution in Austria produced a greater sensation even than France, for it was the very pivot of conservatism. On Thursday I received the letter from A at 8 a.m., which I enclose to you. It gives an account of the revolution in Berlin. End of letter 30. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 31 of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to T.D., March 31st. The old world is undergoing a complete reorganization, and is unfolding a rapid series of events more astonishing than anything in history. Where it will stop, and what will be its results, nobody can tell. Royalty has certainly not added to its respectability by its conduct in its time of trial. Since the last steamer went, Italy has shaken off the Austrian yoke, Denmark has lost her German provinces, Poland has risen, or is about to rise, which will bring Russia thundering down upon liberal Europe. Our whole diplomatic corps are certainly in a fix, and we are really the only members of it who have any reason to be quite at ease. Two or three have been called home to be ministers of foreign affairs, as they have learned something of constitutional liberty in England. England is, as yet, all quiet, and I hope will keep so, but the Chartists are at work, and Ireland is full of inflammable matter. But England does love her institutions, and is justly proud of their comparative freedom, and long may she enjoy them. On Sunday, Mr. Emerson dined with us, with Lady Morgan and Mrs. Jameson, the authoress. On Monday I took him to a little party at Lady Morgan's. His works are a good deal known here. I have great pleasure in seeing so old a friend so far from home. I think we shall have very few of our countrymen out this spring, as travelling Europe is so uncertain, with everything in commotion. Those who are passing the winter in Italy are quite shut in at present, and if war begins, no one knows where it will spread. End of letter 31. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 32 of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to W.D.B., April 7, 1848. On Wednesday we had an agreeable dinner at Mrs. Milner Gibson's. Mr. and Mrs. Disraeli, Mr. and Mrs. Sheridan, brother of Mrs. Norton, etc., were among the guests. After dinner I had a very long talk with Disraeli. He is, you know, of the ultra-Tory party here, and looks at the Continental movements from the darkest point of view. He cannot admit as a possibility the renovation of European society upon more liberal principles, and considers it as the complete dissolution of European civilization which will, like Asia, soon present but the ashes of a burnt-out flame. 
This is most atheistic, godless, and unchristian doctrine, and he cannot himself believe it. The art of printing and the rapid dissemination of thought changes all these things in our days. End of letter 32. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 33 of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to IPD, April 10th. This is the day of the great Chartist meeting, which has terrified all London to the last degree, I think most needlessly. The city and town is at this moment stiller than I have ever known it, for not a carriage dares to be out. Nothing is seen but a special constable, every gentleman in London is sworn into that office, occasionally some on foot, some on horseback, scouring the streets. I took a drive early this morning with Mr. Bancroft, and nothing could be less like the eve of a revolution. This evening, when the petition is to be presented, may bring some disturbance, not from the Chartists themselves, but from the disorderly persons who may avail themselves of the occasion. The Queen left town on Saturday for the Isle of Wight, as she had so lately been confined, it was feared her health might suffer from any agitation. I passed a long train of artillery on Saturday evening coming into town, which was the most earnest-looking thing I have seen. Today we were to have dined at Mrs. Mansfield's, but her dinner was postponed from the great alarm about the Chartists. There is not the slightest danger of a revolution in England. The upper middle class, which on the continent is entirely with the people, the professional and mercantile class, is in here entirely conservative, and without that class no great changes can ever be made. The Duc de Montebello said of France that he knew there were lava streams below, but he did not know the crust was so thin. Here, on the contrary, the crust is very thick. And yet I can see in the most conservative circles that a feeling is gaining ground that some concessions must be made. An enlargement of the suffrage one hears now often discussed as perhaps an approaching necessity. Friday, April 14th. The day of the Chartists passed off with most ridiculous quiet, and the government is stronger than ever. If the alien bill passes, our American friends must mind their P's and Q's, for if they praise the model republic too loudly, they may be packed off at any time, particularly if they have long beards, for it seems to be an axiom here that beards, moustaches, and barricades are cousins German at least. Mr. Bancroft goes to Paris on Monday, the 17th, to pass the Easter holidays. He will go on with his manuscripts, and at the same time witness the elections and meeting of the convention. End of letter 33. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Hello, and welcome to Queen V, the life of Queen Victoria. My name is Donnie Hazel, and I am your host. If you wish to support this podcast, there will be a link provided for you in the show details, and it will be very much appreciated as it goes to help support the cost of maintaining the podcast and our website. With that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Queen V, the life of Queen Victoria.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Queen Bee, the life of Queen Victoria. Remember, if you would like to support this podcast, you can look in the show description notes to find a link. Thank you and have a great day.